Hello there. Welcome to the first of many episodes of the Non-Traditional Scholar Podcast. My name is Jan. I'm your host and fellow non-traditional student. In this episode, we'll unpack what it means to be a non-traditional student in the college landscape and why being a non-traditional student is one of the most powerful assets this country and the world neglects. Most importantly, we are here to share with all of you that identifying as a non-traditional student does not mean you're alone, but are connected to the educational ecosystem. So, to begin, what is a non-traditional student anyway? What's the actual definition of someone who's non-traditional? And does that apply to you or someone you know? Let's find out. Well, according to the National Center for Educational Statistics, non-traditional students are typically considered over the age of 24. The U.S. Department of Education defines a non-traditional student as someone who falls into any one or more of these categories. Being independent for financial aid purposes, having one or more dependents to care for, being a single caregiver, like a single parent, not having a traditional high school diploma, like a GED, delaying post-secondary enrollment, attending school part-time, and or being employed full-time. Any one or more of those boxes, if you check them, then you're considered non-traditional yourself. How large is the non-traditional population in higher education? 40% of undergraduates are older than the age of 24. 58% are working while in college. And 25% of the undergraduate population are parents. One quarter. Those are big numbers. And the data indicates that those numbers will continue to climb. So with such a large footprint in the higher education landscape, do non-traditional students feel a part of this group? Do they feel connected to their college community? Are there resources available for students like these to excel and succeed at their institution? With so much data trending towards upward regarding this student demographic, I wanted to explore what it's like for students who took the scenic route towards their educational dream. What are they experiencing? Are they succeeding? If so, how? If not, why? Do those in this burgeoning group feel like they're a part of it? Or do they feel voiceless, unseen, unheard, and on the verge of convincing themselves that the college dream has passed them by? So many questions. So much intrigue. And yet, all will be answered one episode at a time. Now, before we continue, perhaps you're thinking, yeah, okay, but who's this guy anyway? What gives him the right to lead me on this journey? Like, who the heck are you, man? Well, as one of the most successful Americans who ever lived, 
once said, and I quote Mr. Jay-Z, allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Jan, and I'm a college professor with a master's degree in communication studies, and I am also a college dropout. My scenic route through higher education started in August 2001, and the journey ended May 2015. 14 years to complete six. So I guess I'm qualified to say that I'm a non-traditional student myself. Which leads us into episode one. In this episode, we'll go into details on what is a non-traditional student, what that entails regarding a college degree, and why non-traditional students feel as isolated as some do when pursuing college success. We already have defined what a non-traditional student is, but let's unpack that definition a bit further. Clearly, there are some nuances within that all-encompassing definition. Students pursuing their college degrees that are financially independent have various factors that inhibit their opportunities at excelling in higher education. So they got many obstacles that may prevent them from achieving their goals. As a matter of fact, according to the Graduate School of Education at the University of Pennsylvania, their research concluded that 80% of financially independent students enrolled part-time. 43% of financially independent students have dependent children that they have to provide for. 28% are single parents. 41% of financially independent students work full-time or more than 35 hours per week and over half 54% delayed their enrollment into college. Those numbers are startling, to say the least. The same report went on to reveal that the results of the study detailed a significant amount of risk factors and financial barriers that non-traditional students navigate to successfully complete their educational goals. That's not to say that they can't. It just describes what they typically have to overcome to do so. Those are just some of the statistics that detail what challenges certain non-traditional students experience. Other factors to consider when trying to understand the makeup of a non-traditional student are the schools that they actually attend and how they're even able to enroll and pay for college to begin with. I know in the middle of my scenic route back to school, one of the greatest obstacles for me was how to get back on track. You see, one of the reasons why 14 years took 14 years was because there was a break in between due to a circumstance that uh, I invested my time in heavily. Now, 
I'll get into more details on what that circumstance in particular was in a future episode. But upon realizing that I wanted to go back to school, I thought about what schools would actually accept me with the current situation that I found myself in and my credibility as a, a college student. And the only school that would even give me a glimmer of hope was a community college. So when I did go back to school and start again, in pursuit of my college degrees, I started back where it all began, which was, at that time, BCC, better known today as Broward College. The Broward College is a two-year institution, and most non-traditional students find their gateway into higher education through uh, two-year institutions like a community college or a non-selective four-year institution, perhaps like an online university or anything of that sort. To tie that with the data in the report according to the Graduate School in Education from the University of Pennsylvania, their report revealed that uh, most independent students or independent students with dependents are Pell recipients. So that means that they afford their tuition through financial aid assistance or Pell grants. Those are federally funded grants given to students to pay for college tuition and school-related expenses like books, lab materials, computer software, and other supplies. About 60% of independent students with dependents have Pell grants to help pay for school and another 41% of non-traditional students without dependents who are financially independent also have Pell Grants. So in other words, a large portion of non-traditional students couldn't enroll into college institutions without financial assistance. And let's not make it seem like the Pell Grants pay for everything because Pell Grants don't cover 100% of the school-related cost. Sometimes it only covers a portion of the expenses and the rest either come out of student loans or the student having to pay out of pocket. Now, another aspect to consider when thinking about a non-traditional student and their place in the higher education ecosystem per se is the, the type of schools that they're enrolling in and how much we're like me. Well, the data reveals that over 80% of independent students with dependents and over 70% of independent students without are in broad access institutions. Like I said earlier, open or non-selective institutions like Broward College, Miami-Dade College, or an online university. Now let me clarify that as of now, Broward College is no longer a two-year institution. They offer two-year degrees, but you can also pursue certain degrees that are considered bachelor's degrees and uh, four-year programs at the school. But nonetheless, they are open access meaning that as long as you register and you provide them with the right paperwork and the right documents, then they'll accept. 
So most non-traditional students enroll in schools of that nature. Nothing against those types of schools. But what type of resources are available for students that are enrolling in broad access or non-selective schools compared to highly selective institutions where the rigor upon being accepted and being admitted into the school is, is far different than a school like a two-year institution as mentioned before. Well, the average spending per FTE, which is full-time equivalent student at a broad access institution, according to the Graduate School of Education at Penn was about $14,945. So per student, that's what it's the school spends on a full-time student or a full-time equivalent student that goes there. Compare that to a highly selective school where the average spending was $52,111 per FTE student. That stat clearly shows how much resources or lack thereof is available for non-traditional students to pursue their degrees successfully. Keyword, successfully. That's not to say that the resources are barometers or guaranteed uh, options towards a student's success, non-traditional or not, but it helps any student for that matter, feel more connected and engaged in pursuit of what they were trying to pursue the very second that they clicked on that mouse to register for school. Most non-traditional school, most non-traditional students, they attend two-year institutions. As a matter of fact, about 40% of those are enrolled in a two-year institution and 25% are enrolled in private, for-profit, or unclassified institutions. All that to say that non-traditional students clearly need to navigate many factors in pursuing their college dream while overcoming nearly the same amount of challenges that actually define them. That's crazy, but true. So. I was interested in trying to discover what it really takes for non-traditional students to reroute, return, and overcome life's challenges and actually earn their college degree, which led me to determining what resources are available for non-traditional students at colleges and universities, and are those resources accessible to someone who embodies the non-traditional college life. So first thing we need to do is describe some of the resources available for all, traditional, non-traditional, or somewhere in between, and determine if and what resources may be specific to non-traditional students as well. So first, let's talk tutoring. Some colleges and universities offer free tutoring in various subjects to students enrolled at the institution. Typical subjects offered in tutoring are chemistry, physics, algebra, pre-cal, statistics, biology, technology, within computers and whatnot, English courses, writing, test prep, and even speech. Ever since the COVID-19 pandemic, tutoring services at many campuses are now offered 
either in virtual or in-person sessions. Some colleges even offer tutoring that can be conducted in group settings as well, meaning classmates can go attend a tutoring session together, which may be beneficial for non-traditional students. <laughs> Speaking of testing, another resource that many colleges and universities offer students is testing, specifically CLEP. So what's CLEP? CLEP stands for the College Level Examination Program. They are subject-specific tests that allow students to earn college credit without having to take an entire course. So if you pass the test, you earn the credit and no longer have to enroll in that course for your degree. CLEP subject tests vary from foreign language exams like French, Spanish, and even German, history and social science courses such as American federal government, macroeconomics, and psychology, literature courses, math courses, science-focused courses, and even business. According to the CLEP College Board website, a test costs about 90 bucks to take, far less than enrolling in an actual college class. Although you won't receive a letter grade for the test, the credit counts towards your college course and will be reflected on your transcript. This guy right here actually took advantage of that, but I didn't know about it until I went back and met with an advisor. So when I went and spoke to the advisor for the first time upon rerouting myself back to school, the advisor got to know me a little bit, made me feel comfortable, made me feel like there was an actual possibility that I can actually get this done. So in that conversation, he asked me if I spoke another language. I responded, yes. So for all of you out there, I do speak more than one language. As a matter of fact, if you want to know how many languages I speak, uh, on a good day, I could speak four. So obviously I speak English, but I can also speak French. I can also speak Creole, specifically Haitian Creole. And I speak that Miami Spanish. Growing up in South Florida, Spanish was a premium. So learning and, learning and knowing Spanish uh, was an advantage for me, to say the least. So when I told him that I spoke French fluently, he mentioned CLEP. And that's when I found out about the CLEP test. So I went ahead and I took his advice. And instead of having to take the foreign language requirement for my associate's degree, I signed up for the CLEP test. And in the matter of two hours, I got credit for something that was going to take me two semesters for far less. So I passed the test and it expedited my process through going back to school and gave me that much more motivation to feel one step closer to what I thought was a distant memory. So, obviously, the CLEP option could be very convenient for many non-traditional students like myself, because if they have, like, relatable work experience in a certain field, 
they can decide to take the clip exam, earn credit from their work experience by passing the test that is far less time consuming and more affordable. Unfortunately though, most non-traditional students do not have the specific work experience in most of the clip topics, which means they may not have the opportunity to take the test and allow CLEP to be a applicable option for them. But I wanted to find out a little bit more regarding CLEP and its awareness on a college campus. So I decided to go ask a few students myself to see if they've ever heard of CLEP and if they've ever even taken advantage of or if they could. So allow me to show a brief snippet of the results of my interview. Now these are traditional and non-traditional students that are enrolled at Miami-Dade College. So we're gonna see how many of them know about CLEP, taking CLEP, or now that they've been aware of CLEP, quite possibly can use CLEP to their advantage to uh, get closer to their college dream. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. What's your name? Calder. Nicole, nice to meet you. What school do you go to? Miami Day College. And uh, are you a freshman, sophomore? I'm a freshman. Freshman? Yeah. What's your major? Translation and interpretation. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, let me ask you a question. Since you've been in MDC, have you ever heard of the resource known as CLEP? No. Never? No, never. You don't know what that is? No. CLEP is a resource offered here at MDC in the testing center where you can take a test. And if you take the test and pass the test, you earn credit for your degree, meaning that you don't have to take the course. That's awesome. So you're going into language and interpretation. So I would imagine you know more than one language, yeah? yeah. How many languages do you know? Uh, two. Two? English and Spanish. Have you, were you required to take a foreign language class? I think I'm required, yeah. Do you know that if you don't want to take that class for four months, you can take the foreign language CLEP test, and if you pass it, you earn the credit? That's amazing, yeah, I didn't know that. And it's only 90 bucks. Wow, yeah, that's, that's amazing, yeah. <laughs> Have a good day. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Good, and you? Fine, thank you, fine, thank you. What's your name? James Romagnolo. James, nice to meet you. Um, what school do you go to? Florida International University. FIU. Uh, are you a first year, second year? I'm a senior. Senior, you're about to graduate. What's your major? Psychology. Psychology. That's great. Let me ask you, have you ever heard of a resource for students called CLEP? I have not. Never? No. Hello, how are you? I'm good, and you? How are you? Fine, thank you. What's your name? Josie. Josie, nice to meet you. You're a college student? Um, I'm a university student. University student. Yeah. What school do you go to? FIU. FIU? Yes. Are you a freshman, sophomore, junior? Senior. 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 Yes. Congratulations. What's your major? My major is biology. Biology? Yes. That's excellent. That's excellent. Let me ask you, in your experience as a university student, have you ever heard of the resource known as CLEP? No. You don't know what CLEP is? No. Well, CLEP is a resource that students can take in the testing center uh -huh. where if you're knowledgeable about a particular field, instead of you enrolling for the entire course, you take a test 
in the testing center. And if you pass the test, you earn college credit for that course for far less money. You mm -hmm. see, taking the test is only 90 bucks. And if you pass it, you don't have to take the course. Now that you're more aware of the resource, do you find a resource like that valuable to students? Yes. Do you speak another language? Spanish. Spanish. Did you have to take a foreign language requirement while I, you were pursuing your studies? I didn't because I took AP ah. classes in high school. So if you didn't take AP, would you find it valuable that you could have taken a test in Spanish? Yes. And if you would have passed a Spanish test, yes. you wouldn't have to take the class? Yes. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Have, have a, good, a day. good day. How are you? Good, Tari. I'm fine. What's your name? Give me a little bit. Daniel, nice to meet you. Um, what school do you go to? I go to Miami-Dade College as a sophomore. Sophomore. What's your major? Uh, graphical and commercial arts. Graphical and commercial arts. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the resource known as CLEPIS? No. You don't know what CLEPIS? Never heard. Never heard of it? Oh, thank you. Those were just a few of the many students that I surveyed and asked the same question on that very day. Traditional and non-traditional students alike. Have they ever heard of CLEP? 100% of the students responded the same way. No. Clearly, having a resource like this should be made more accessible and available to all students, traditional or non-traditional. So it's kind of peculiar that many students don't know that this resource actually exists. It's like a dinosaur. You only know about it once you're told. So upon further review, more students need to be told about what's available to them so they can be aware to decide for themselves if a resource like that can actually be beneficial for them to pursue what they're trying to pursue in the first place, a college degree. One other resource that some universities and online universities that might be slightly more selective in admitting non-traditional students, one resource is resource that those schools offer is something known as CPL. That stands for Credit for Prior Learning. So Credit for Prior Learning allows non-traditional students to earn college credits from work experience, resulting in potentially graduating faster and for less money. Most schools who offer CPL require a portfolio to be submitted within certain fields of study and relatable courses. The portfolio consists of a written assessment, usually about five to 10 pages in length, a resume or CV, and some evidence to prove work experience in that field. A portfolio submission cost varies from one college to the next, but the price range for a portfolio ranges from $125 to $150 per submission. Some schools do not allow portfolios in core subjects, such as English, speech, or math. 
Years in the field also vary from one institution to the next. For example, Colorado State University's global campus requires four years work experience in the related field to earn CPL credit. One should check with their institution to see the requirements and availability for CPL credits at the school. Students can earn a good amount of CPL credit towards their college degree. How much? On average, 30 to 60 credits can be earned as CPL credits at various higher level institutions. Unfortunately, some CPL credits are not transferable to other schools. This is a resource that can be very valuable to non-traditional students, especially if they're coming back to school with work experience in a related field. Earning the CPL avoids them having to fork out more money than they need to and spend less time than they have to in pursuit of that college degree. Those who served in the military, veterans, active duty service members and their spouses have another resource specific to them that they can help those individuals achieve their college dreams non-traditionally. That resource is known as the Dante's Standardized Subject Test. Passing this test gives military veterans and active duty service members and their spouses CPL credit. So this is a specific exam for military members and their spouses. It helps them save time and money while earning college credit in various college fields by passing the DSST exam. Works very similarly to the CLEP and how the CLEP can be valuable, but this is specific to a military member. So instead of enrolling into an actual course and paying for the college class, the member takes the test for far less money, earns the college credit by passing the test and gets one step closer to earning that degree. One distinct feature about the DSST compared to the CLEP is that for the military members serving in our military, the DSST is free on the first attempt only. So if you pass the test on your first attempt, it's free of charge. So you earn your credit for free. Please see the Dante's DSST website for further eligibility requirements and where testing centers are located near you that offer the DSST test for your convenience, for your advantage, and for the fact that you re-enrolled into college after serving our country. Thanks for all you do. Now, these were just a few of the many resources available to traditional 
and non-traditional students alike at various campuses, at colleges and universities across the higher education landscape. There are other resources that we will go into greater detail and unpack in future episodes. I felt that the ones discussed in episode one are the most prevalent and unfortunately some of the most unknown. I also wanted to unpack and discover more how students in particular who identify as non-traditional actually go through this experience on a case-by-case scenario. So in the next episode and the few more following, we're going to take a qualitative route into what it really is like for a non-traditional student and get into their actual stories regarding their reroute, return, and redemption in pursuing and achieving college success through the scenic route to inspire and to show what it really takes to earn that college degree. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, want to give some feedback, want to let me know what else you would like us or me as the host of the podcast to discuss, it would mean the world to me if you would uh, rate us or comment on Spotify. Um, Let us know the good, the bad, the ugly, and uh, I would tremendously be indebted to uh, any type of feedback just to let me know that I'm on the right trajectory so with that said I'll see you on the next episode in a couple weeks enjoy your day I hope you were more enlightened I hope you are more intrigued and I hope you take care so until next time my name is uh, Jan I'll see you on episode 2 and take it easy